right, welcome to The Loaded Goat, a podcast about the Andy Griffith Show. I'm Aaron. And I'm Chris. Each week, we do a recap of an episode of The Andy Griffith Show, and if you're wondering where we got the name The Loaded Goat, watch Season 3, Episode 18. Um, this, this week, we're doing the, the second episode of the series called The Manhunt. Um, I have seen this episode several times. Christopher is still new to the show, so Christopher, what were your thoughts? Uh, well, first of all, I am still new to it, and I'm one of those people that's also wondering where we got the title, The Loaded Goat. So I'm looking forward to season three as well. I have high, high expectations for that episode. Um, I thought this was a, this is a great episode. You know, I think it has a, a super strong opening scene of, the, of Andy and, and Opadias in the uh, boat when it starts to flood. I had a couple of kind of general southern questions for you, Aaron, that I can jump in on that about the boat scene or we can stick to the plot for this first little part what's your preference uh you can go ahead and ask me the questions about the boat so it seems to me first of all that it's pretty early in the morning we can tell by opie's hair um mm -hmm. but the southern question specifically is where are the mosquitoes i feel like at this time of year it's pretty hot um but they don't really seem to be bothered by pests whatsoever well, you, you raise an interesting point, and I guess my thought would be, since this is a, a show about North Carolina filmed in California, some of the, um, it's not a 100% hard-hitting, accurate look at what life was like in the South in the 60s, and mosquitoes are often absent on the Andy Griffith show, even though you would expect them to be around if you, if you really think about it. Okay. Um, because then my other question was just related to what time of year it was, whether or not Opie's going to school at all. I mean, it's the summer, and if he's going, and it, it sounds to me like it's the summer. They're going fishing in the morning before work, which is what a lot of people in the South will do at times if they're able to. And he's he's maybe taking a late, Andy, it looks like Andy's taking a late morning. Opie's off for, off for the summer and um, just milling about town. Got it. All right, that's a good baseline for me. I'm, I'm ready to start the show. Okay. Those are my big questions. All right. Well, I'm glad we could get you uh, get you set there. Um, <laughs> Those are really important inflection points that I had to understand before we jumped in. Got well, lots of questions about sweat stains, and we'll go from there. But I just needed a baseline. All right. All right. Well, good. I'm glad we glad we got that set up. The um, so with the, the episode, as Christopher mentioned, starts with the with Andy and Opie on the boat fishing, and Andy baits a uh, hook with um, with with some of their um, Sam with some of the sandwiches that they have have with them, and he puts a, puts a, puts some ham on it, tosses it in. Opie questions why he's doing it. Andy explains that this is a way to catch fish because they're not used to seeing um, not used to seeing ham. And sure enough, within about thirty seconds, they catch they catch a fish. And Opie is just in awe of his dad. So, do you think that the true sportsman Aunt B kind of coached them through how to bait a line before they went on this, as we learned I in the pilot? I think they did not consult Aunt B um, in any way, shape, or form before they went before they went out on the boat. It's clear that they left her out. I hope she was okay because I bet she had to make those sandwiches. She did. I mean, you know, you figure Aunt B. I mean, she. You remember in the last episode? I mean, she traveled early in the morning to get there, right as they were eating breakfast. So you got to figure Aunt B is up at up at five o'clock every morning. Yeah, she's doing it. Um, Question I had on this, and this might be addressed in a later episode, but uh, what do we know about the name of the boat, Gertrude? Unknown. That's uh. Is that is that the mom's name? I 
No, I, I, I don't know. I don't think it's ever said what um, Andy's uh, wife's name was. Interesting. I'm going to pretend like it's Gertrude throughout the show, that the boat is named after her. Okay, well, it's a, it's a, sad, it's a sad way to honor, um, honor his late wife, Gertrude. Sinking boat? Because the boat keeps sinking. I mean, they, the, the, so but before we get into that, Opie just carries on about how amazing his dad is. And um, Andy's, Andy's touched, and he's also kind of like me, and Opie, come on now, you know, there's, there's more important people than me in the world. And, um, and he gets to find it, and but we're going to find out sooner, sooner um, rather than later, just how important and, and good at his job Andy is. But he's not as good at for, for repairing boats because the boat starts to leak. They have to row back in and cut their fishing strip short, and then um, and then Barney shows up, basically hyperventilating, um, saying he's got something big to tell him, and he says it probably fifteen times. I think, you know, maybe I dismissed this in the pilot, but one of the themes throughout this episode, it starts really when Barney shows up, is it has a fantastic soundtrack. And they really build some anticipation for Barney to get out of the car and begin to say, I got a big thing. It's big. It's big. It's big. So, too, is the soundtrack. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. I mean, it's, it's, it, is, it is very well done. And it is a common theme during the show for, for Barney to say something's big. And just keep going on about how big it is and um and andy keeps going so you say it's big i mean and just kind of and it just kind of plays along with them so it's not, not they don't do it every episode but it probably happens i feel like once a season one of the things that barney says when he's going through that is he's talking about you know the the criminal coming through and he's like it's a real dragnet which i looked up dragnet you know i knew it was a tv show but i looked up the time frame of when dragnet came out which was 10 years before this one mm-hmm. so i guess that that was already a pop culture reference but it's also obviously a fishing reference that i thought was really nice to tie the two scenes together as a nice literary tie-in i was going to come up with a better word there but i got nothing oh i mean i didn't really um i, I did not realize that that's so wow okay you were you are you were dig- I I've watched this show I've watched I kind of know most of these shows inside and out but you were finding things that I had um never never seen before so it's always great to bring a fresh perspective Aaron even <laughs> to an expert just like yourself oh oh stop um so the um, <laughs> so we end up so so turns out there's an escaped convict on the loose loose and there's a manhunt taking place and they need to get back to back, back to the sheriff's office because the dra- dragnet's going to be, or the convoy going after, uh, what am I trying to say here? The the posse going the convoy, after, the convoy or convoy slash posse are coming to town to um, c- uh, catch this uh, convict. They don't ever say what he did. You're just supposed to uh, believe he escaped from like a maximum security prison or something. I've got a pretty good theory on who this who this uh, Dirksen character is. Can okay. I can I yeah. elaborate? By all means. So during, over the last few months, I started watching a lot of old TV shows. And what my favorite movie that I, that I watched for the first time through this was Cool Hand Luke. And Luke's friend in that movie, remember he, he, when he does the egg competition, yeah. he's got a guy that coaches him through it. Um, drag Line, which is also similar to Drag Net, which makes me think that this is true, um, played by George Kennedy, is the other guy. And he looks just like Dirksen, the escape con who runs away. So I think that it is actually um, that guy before uh, Cool Hand Luke happens. And this is just his first escape. What do you think? Believable? 
no, but but I but I appreciate you digging up. Appreciate you digging in. I mean, this show is not even one that, that worries about continuity from season to season. I don't think you have a cool, like a cousin, to cool hand Luke. Yeah, I think it's a prequel. And I was kind of thinking it a little bit because they the two actors do look a lot alike, difference in years. But I think this came out maybe nine years before Cool Hand Luke did. Yeah. And we drag line to drag net. I mean, those things are, are clear as mud for me. Well, I mean, I think, I think, you know, you've got a point there. And then maybe if we really want to build off on that, um, you know, maybe the, I can't, I'm pretty sure the George Kennedy character, no spoilers, I guess. I'm, I'm, if I remember right, he does, he's still alive at the end of Cool Hand Luke, correct? I think he, he might die okay. in the barn. In the barn. But right. I do think just in the, in the, uh, in the spoilers, I feel like there's a statute of limita- limitations on spoilers that anything 25 years before, like you can spoil away. I think so. We're just think now able fair. to spoil, like Saved by the Bell. I think. Yeah. Okay. All right. I. I mean, I. I think you could. Like, you could have spoiler alert that alerted that five years. Uh, you know, five years after the show was off the air. But um, I um. So let's just joke. Let's just say that he, George Kennedy's character had a brother. And he ended up joining the police force in Los Angeles with Frank Drebin and was the character in the Naked Gun series. Then it really, you've got Andy Griffith connected to the Naked Gun through Cool Hand Luke. What do you think? I think it's fantastic. It's your classic trilogy. Yeah, yeah. It's probably what Star Wars was founded on. (laughs) I mean, you got a fun, you got a fun, a really fun show, um, a fun first act, followed by a dark second one. And then a crowd-pleasing third one. Just like maybe Star Wars. Just like Star Wars. If I were to remember them. (laughs) Yes. All right. Let's let's move on. Um, We digress. We digress. Yeah. So um, I I see. I guess the um, I would say he's got to be he's got to have committed some sort of violent crime. So um, what do you? So have you? Did you ever experience being around a manhunt when you were a kid? Actually, I did. I'm surprised I have a yes to this. There was a, so growing up in Helena, Montana, there was maybe, it was like the weekend before school started. um, And we were out at Staples buying school supplies one night. And there were two felons that were being transferred, um, or convicted felons, that were being uh, transported by cops to a different prison. And the the guard stopped at a Burger King um, about a mile away from my house, and the, they got out and ran through the neighborhood. And we had cops going over with searchlights, looking through and checking all sorts of different houses. So I went to bed that night, and there would be uh, spotlights going through. And eventually, they found them. Um, but yeah, just had to get those whoppers on the way out of town. Did have you, uh, Aaron? I have not. I have not. Were you scared when you went to bed? I was not. Um, probably, I don't know why I wasn't. There is a false sense of, I have these wooden bars on my window that probably made me feel safe, but they're so old that you could just crack them and probably pop right through them. But maybe Mm. those gave me a false sense of security. You know, also kids right before school starts are pretty despondent anyway. They're probably like, you know what? Summer's over, life is over. What's, what's the use at this point? So, I mean, they do have a, um, do have a lack of perspective on on the on life and and really the finality of if you're taken out by a convict. 
There's worse yeah. things that happen yeah. that happen than not going to school. Um, so, so the so they get to the jail, and this is the first time we meet Otis Otis Campbell, and Otis Campbell um, is played is by he the is he the state captain? No, he's the town drunk. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And Otis, Otis Campbell is a recurring character on the show. You will see Otis Campbell regularly. He's, um, he's he he was he plays a town drunk in an era where alcoholism was just kind of portrayed as kind of a funny little quirk. And um, he, he <laughs> and every Saturday night he arrests himself for public drunkenness and sleeps him sleeps it off at the jail. And Andy and Barney and Aunt B treat him almost like he's a member of the family. So it's. Um, it's he, so he's 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 a fun character on the show. He's played by Hal Smith, who did did a lot of acting, but probably best remembered outside of Andy Griffith for his voiceover work. His most significant one was he was the Al in Winnie the Pooh. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I you know right at the the scene right after this reminded me a little bit of the Three Stooges esque, and I Hal kind of reminds me a little bit of Curly, the the Curly of that scene uh, of yeah. all the cops coming in. Yeah, well, that's fair. So he, um, so he can't stay because he's got choir practice, and uh, so the cops from the state, uh, from the state police, all roll in. They're all business. They think they're dealing with the hick, with the hick sheriff, um, and a hick deputy. The situation is not helped by the fact that um, the, um, Opie and Aunt B just show up and insisting that Andy get a hot meal before he goes. He goes on the manhunt. <laughs> And uh, which I have just, I just, have, I kind of watched this and it's just kind of cringeworthy because you're kind of like, he's not trying to put on airs, but he's also kind of like saying, I at least want to look remotely professional as I run my shop. So, does he play it up though after that? So like with the magnet piece where he's just throwing a magnet at this new fancy um, map on the wall, making all sorts of sounds. I also feel like he hands up his accent extra hard in this first interaction with the state police so i think that's one thing you do see with him, with him is that when he feels like he's dealing with a pretentious or just a condescending person especially from the big city he does kind of almost go into well if this is what you think of me let me just have a little fun with this and that's generally what he what he does i respect that approach to life yeah me too me too so State police don't tell him they don't need his help. And so they're, um, and so basically um, Barney and Andy are left out. Apparently everybody in town knows about the manhunt. I mean, it is, word is spread within just a matter of hours that they're, that they're looking, that there's one going on. The um, folks in the, folks on the street are kind of just implying that Andy and Barney are, you know, have been sidelined and it's gets, and it upsets Opie and, Finally, Andy's had enough and decides to go um, to go help to go where he and Barney are going to go work on the rural roads to conduct their own manhunt. You know, when they were sitting in the in the car parked out in front of the station right before they go out, I thought there was a similar scene. And this is something I brought up in our in our first conversation about this, where it looks like the upholstery is also snakeskin that I want to, which is something I thought that Aunt B was wearing when she arrives in the first episode. And I, I think it, these could just be tweeds and I'm missing it in the black and white mystique, but I really like, I really like all the snakeskin prevalence. 
I feel like you are a television, an old black and white television conspiracy theorist. I keep presenting you with facts, <laughs> explaining why this is not the case, and you just keep doubling down and acting like what you what are you paying what I say no mind. It's uh, it's very hurtful. First of all, I've never paid what you said any mind, but uh, uh, I'm happy to keep continuing. Um, I'm, I'm just on the hunt for snakeskin, and uh, my impression of the South is that it's full of snakes, and so I think it's pretty likely. I can't imagine that it's got more state. I mean, I have to imagine it's got just as many snakes as Montana. Yeah, maybe, but I'm scared of them. I stay away from rock crevices. I mean, most, you know, even people in the South aren't walking around going, oh, there's a rock crevice. Let me stick my hand in it. <laughs> you typically try to, you, you are mindful of, mindful of snakes, but, you know, there's also, it's also not something where everybody's walking around being, getting, getting snake skin. I mean, it's, it's not like you walk, you go to the South and there's just snake skin, people dressed in snake skin left and right. Kind of a rare <laughs> agree to agree to disagree. <laughs> I, mean, to I mean, you know, Christopher, um, has, Christopher has never been, but he knows. So there, there you go. Correct. All right. Let's see. The um, all right. So they're they're at the they're going they they go out in the manhunt. Um, they split up. Barney comes across the convict. Convict takes Barney's gun away and ties him up. So question for this. And I think I know this from a previous scene, but Barney, he typically is a one bullet man, a one, yes. one shot shooter. And I think he filled up his gun full of bullets right before this, but that seems to be outside of the norm for him. So then if he, if Andy tells Barney to fire three shots in the air, if he needs help, which seems scary, especially just shooting guns in the air also scares me, but it's also likely that you're losing half of the, the chamber that he has in a six shooter. And he's only ever used to shooting one bullet. I mean, I think this goes back to Andy's managerial issues where he doesn't know the limits of his own staff. Well, I mean, I think that's fair. I do think Barney basically being allowed to carry only one bullet, that is a common theme throughout the series. I mean, there will be, um, there will be a, a, a situation where like, Andy should have put the bullet in and Andy will be like, yeah, Barney, go ahead and do it. Barney's gun going off is a const is a hap it probably happens two hundred times on the on the show, um, but that is kind of a saying. I mean, you you know, if you really want to talk about somebody's being incompetent or something like that, when they start talking like talking a big game of we're going to do this or we're going to do that, I'm going to show those people you're like, yep, go ahead, you better go ahead and put your bullet in now, because um, <laughs> everybody gets the um, everybody gets the reference. So that's is uh, that it. Is that a common theme that you that you would say or you've heard? I want to start saying it, but I, I mean, don't know I, it. I can't say it. To, I can't say it. I can't. I, I mean, I can't say it really in Washington D.C. because no one knows it. I mean, I have to really. Mm -hmm. I, at this point, I have to find. If I'm going to say it, I'm going to have to say it to somebody who's in their fifties or sixties, who I know watched the show a lot when they were when they were a kid. And so, the, otherwise, I can. But you can say it in the South, and everybody will. I mean, almost a good number of people will get it. Is that why we're doing this podcast so that you can just start getting these one-liners out to a broader audience so you don't have to change your your sayings and lexicon? I mean, uh, you know, uh, 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 doing a podcast about a show that they probably don't watch? No, I'm probably, uh, that's probably not the way to reach <laughs> reach them. 
I think no uh, one said it was a good idea. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you're you're along for the ride, um, but but yeah. So he ends up he ends up he ends up getting his gun taken away from him. He never gets to fire his three shots. Um, Andy finds him tied up. This is kind of typical with Barney. I mean, they're they're doing a number of man hunts and things don't work out for Barney. I mean, usually Andy has to has to rescue Barney too. You know, my favorite part about this that we that happens right before that is when he's checking everybody who's going down the street and he's frisking um, frisking people for what appears to be like a a body like a felon strapped to the people's body like to yeah. his mom's body yeah. that I thought was kind of a delightful piece um to it it's not it's it's all it's saying something about what he thinks maybe he thinks these people just gained a bunch of weight and they have a body like strapped around their hips um and that's what he's trying to feel for i mean you you i mean i think the biggest thing is you know barney is a neurotic mess and he really i don't think i would say barney's not the sharpest tool in the shed but i also think barney can't really see beyond his own rules and regulations and so he, uh, two people of significance in that is one is his mother, which is a funny joke when it's like, Barney, I'm your, Barney, I'm your mother. And um, we never see Barney's mother ever again on the show. And then the second one is Mayor, uh-huh. yeah, the second one's Mayor Pike. And he's one of two mayors that are on the show. Um, he's played by um, an actor named Dick Elliott, who was a character actor in a lot of movies um, over the course of his career. Did a lot of work with Frank Capra, but was also in It's a Wonderful Life. Um, so you'll see, you'll see him more, more and more. Only in December when it's on TV. <laughs> Only in December um, when it's on TV, which is, you know, which doesn't make sense because it, it's, it's not a Christmas movie. Um, I think, so that actually seems like a really important point though. If this is the only episode that we see Barney's mom in and she kind of leaves disgruntled from him, she probably, they estranged themselves after that relationship because of the way that Barney treated her and abused his, his uh, excessive force of the law. I think you're uh, really expecting this to be like an H- a linear HBO series or a linear 10, 10 episode series. I mean, I think the, the writers just said, wouldn't this gag be funny? And then they just never brought Barney's mom back. I'm sorry that I, that I believe in them more, Aaron. <laughs> I mean, I, I, appreciate, I appreciate this. I, I appreciate you digging in. I really do. But I just feel like I need to, need to manage your expectations here. <laughs> And so then Andy finds Barney, and this is probably my favorite aspect of the Andy Griffith show. And probably if there's anything I learned from this show, it's the way it's what how Andy manages himself in the next few scenes. Um, first, he knows that the convict is probably going to stop by at Miss Emma Brand's house for because he smells the pie and he's and he's starving. And is she the Jaywalker? From she's the, the Jay. She's the Jaywalker from the first episode. And then. Okay. And then he, and then so he goes. It's clear Emma's being Emma's Emma's being short. It's clear that something's not right. And so Andy decides to direct the convict back to his leaky old boat, and um, and then calls the state police, and they come out, and they're um, and they're just like, "What are you doing? You're letting him get away. He's in your boat." And sure enough, boat starts to sink. He comes back. They arrest him. And I guess what I did love about this is that if there's anything Andy Griffith teaches you, and I mean, it's obviously there's, obviously I don't think 
I don't think people who live in cities are as kind of look as look down as condescendingly on people in the country as this short show portrays. Um, you think I'm wrong? Well, oh, I would just, as someone who lives in DC and you live in the country of Alexandria, you know, I do feel like there is some animosity I have toward, toward you country folk. Well, let's, let's, let's come back to that. Um, but what I do like about um, this is what I, what I learned from Andy Griffith is you want to be successful at your job or you want to be successful in the work you do. You need to actually understand every aspect of, of, what, you, of what you're working on or what you're, um, of, what you're, of what you're dealing with and the people you're working with. And I felt like that was what made Andy such a good sheriff was he understood his town backwards and forwards and every uh, every detail about it and the people who lived in it and so all he had to do once he realized what happened to barney is just silent is just gently direct this convict to a to a leaky boat and problem solved he also had a really really strong grasp of the geography of the lake um that so once the guy goes out he knows where he's going and then once it sinks he knows that there's only one specific, I think there are high cliffs all the way around yeah. because the only place for the man to, to swim back is right back into the clutches of justice. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, and then of course the, the condescending state police um, officers are all kind of, they've changed their tune with, they've changed their tune with Andy at the end and they're going to send them, they want to do a citation and, or commendation. And Andy just said, send me a, send me one of those maps with a magnet on it. And he, and they, they said, they do that. <laughs> and then of course, go, go ahead. No, I got nothing. And then Barney pulls his gun out to intimidate the, um, intimidate the convict and gets it caught in his hand. Um, I think that is something you don't, you can't really do um, anymore or probably couldn't do back then is pull your gun out and twirl it around in a crowded group, group of people, especially if your name was Barney Fife. So question, question for you. That, that, that concludes the episode, right? Is that the end of it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, where, I think this is a, this was a fantastic episode. Where do you think this rank, if you're going to go to like, let's do one to 11. Where do you think this falls in the full canon of Andy Griffith's shows? Are we talking about ranking the 11 best episodes? No, just 1 to 11. I was going to go to 10, but that seemed too 1 out of 10, but that seemed too easy. So I thought I'd do a 1 out of 11. I mean, I would give it probably a 6 or a 7. I mean, I feel... Really? Yes. I, and the reason I say this is because I still think the show is delightful. I don't think it had come into its own yet by the middle of this season and on, especially through the remaining five seasons with Don Knotts, it is, they, there are some episodes that are just gut bustingly funny and, and equally as heartwarming. Okay. Um, the other thing that I was thinking we could take from this episode on throughout our illustrative career as podcasters, masters mm -hmm. of the cast um, was in when Barney shows up and he talks about the big piece. And then at the end, Andy also says, I already 10 forward you. We can steal some of those cute little sign-offs that they have, and then people will just think it's adorable. Right, listeners? <laughs> I think you got something there. Um, and yeah, I heard universal agreement. Uh, you got, you, you've got, you know, we've got universal agreement. Um, <laughs> so I do think that, that the other thing, as we go through more of these episodes, it will be interesting just to see, like I said, really interesting to see how, how the characters evolve and what actually, what actually takes place with, um, with, the, with each character. And like I said, this isn't a show where there's a whole lot of 
evolution or there's a lot of changes with the characters, but there is a, they just figure out how to have more fun with the characters, if that makes sense. That does. I'm looking forward to it. I thought, yeah, I think this one's, this one's a great episode. Yeah. So next week we will do, we will be doing the uh, third episode, which is the guitar player, um, which is a very, which is one of the more memorable episodes um, on a show with a lot of memorable episodes. So we'll be, we'll be doing that until next time. You just uh, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Christopher, I already 10 for you. I already sent for you. I'll set up a LinkedIn too if you all want to uh, network about Andy Griffith. Thanks all. Right. all. Thanks, folks.